here we face a difficult choice. Which is? If we can't make the journey to find Ezra, then no one should. It won't come to that. It might have already. He'd be stranded out there. Maybe this time for good. Better that than allowing Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. Let's find that ground base. Sabine. Can I count on you? You know you can. Once again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar, welcome to our 215th masterfully misleading The Menace of Marok episode of Smanovision, <laughs> Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We are so glad you're here. Remember, the best way to find us is still on social media. We're at Mando underscore Vision on uh, Twitter slash X. I don't even know. But most importantly on Instagram, where you can definitely find us, and they don't, they don't have a bunch of weird names. You can also email the show, mandovisiontom at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to another episode. It's Ahsoka Wednesdays here on the podcast. We are excited to discuss part four of Ahsoka that just, just dropped last night. And, and you know... Uh, it's, I, I've made this observation in the past. I'm going to make it again. I think it's... I, I like to read like an aggregate of reviews on episodes of shows. Because I'm, I'm kind of curious what uh, other critics are, are thinking of the, of the shows as they kind of play out. Because I watch the episodes and I definitely have my opinions and my feelings. And I'm, I'm far from a, a, a certified... A journalist, a journal, a, a critic of journalistic critic. <laughs> I don't even know what, know what the right word is here, but you know, I'm not one of these people who's paid to be a critic, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious what these, the quote-unquote professional critics think of things, and I read their reviews, and 
I just think they're wrong more often than not, and it makes me kind of laugh. Again, it's okay to have criticisms and and you know nits to pick with with shows, but I at this point, if you're a critic and you're still hammering on the same things that bothered you in in part one of the series, I think you need to adjust your uh, way of thinking here because clearly the tone of the show is just not what you think it is or should be or what you want it to be and I think that's hampering your enjoyment of the show overall because guess what I think the show's great the audience seems to think the show's great it's score on Rotten Tomatoes it's score on IMDb these episodes are, are wildly popular and, and the audience is enjoying them and I think that's the key element here so uh, some of the knocks that some of the critics have uh, again, I think they're just a little off base here with what they're talking about. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole too much more deeply because it's just it just sort of baffles me when I when I go to a website, the same website over and over again, uh, read their review of the new episode, and I'm just like this guy's this person is still harping on the same things, and it's just like move on with your life, F- figure out like the show's not that or whatever you expected it to be, and and you're you seem to be knocking it for not being what you expected it to be, and I don't care for that. Uh, adjust your expectations, adjust your reality. It is what it is. Um, and again, I can understand your frustration as a, as a critic sometimes, I suppose. But hey, this show, Ahsoka in particular, has been uh, totally consistent since episode one. Uh, Dave Filoni's vision has not altered, has not wavered, has not changed. Uh, and I think that's to be applauded because this is the man who knows the character better than than all of us combined, right? So, uh, relax, go on the ride, enjoy the show. And that's what we're going to do on this episode of the podcast because a lot of really great things to talk about uh, in this episode. And and again, I think it, 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 it's a little less dense than last week's episode, which was uh, you know a lot of episode packed into like 30, 34-ish minutes of, of show. Uh, this one has a little bit more breathing room in it. Uh, but you know they, they put that information into our ears last week and I think that lets this episode breathe more. We can kind of get into some of the more more of the action-based elements of it. And so that when there is impactful dialogue in this episode, I think it, I think it scores more. I think it hits harder. Uh, and I like that a lot. I like the way they did that. I like the way they set a lot of things up in this episode. And we're going to talk about that all right now. Let's go ahead and get our particulars out of the way. This is Ahsoka Part 4, Fallen Jedi. Original air date, September, or excuse me, it was September 5th, 2023. Directed by Peter Ramsey, written by Dave Filoni. Our primary cast, once again, Rosario Dawson, Natasha Lou Bordizzo, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Ray Stevenson, Ivana Sacno, Diana Lee Insanto, and David Tennant. Uh, Our plot this week. Hera risks her career to help her friends while Ahsoka and Sabine confront enemies. And confront them, they do, my friends. So... Before we get into the, the, the episode proper, I do want to say we, we opened this episode of the podcast with a, basically the opening scene of this episode. Uh, why I think this piece of dialogue is so important is because it's setting up, it's foreshadowing, it, it's establishing what the crux of this episode is going to be. And, and that is uh, the decision Sabine's going to have to make, right? And, and again, some of the criticism I've, I've read was like, oh, they didn't like that they put that in the beginning. I like that they put that in the beginning because, again, setting up Sabine's choice is is a very important element of this episode. And also sort of highlighting that Ahsoka and Sabine might be together and they have this this wonderful relationship with each other, right? This deep, rich relationship that 
Uh, a, a lot of it was not on camera, but exists. But it, this also highlights the disagreements that these characters have, the, the sort of headstrongness of both characters. Because while Ahsoka presents the reality of the situation, Sabine never really cops to, to seeing it that way, you know? Her, she sort of deflects answering the question, like, you know, well, and let's just say it, all right? <laughs> Again, it's in the sound clip. You know, Ahsoka's willing to destroy the map to make sure that Thrawn can't come back, and thus protecting the sacrifice that Ezra made of himself, right? Sabine seems less willing to go along with this plan. Uh, she's, she's haunted by the fact that Ezra made the sacrifice and is willing to risk it all to bring him back, including Thrawn, if, if need be, right? She's willing to, to sort of damn the galaxy uh, if it means bringing back her friend Ezra Bridger. And it's, it's sort of funny to me because when you, if you want to sort of extrapolate that a little bit more, you can kind of pull back into the, the classic uh, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan scenario, right? The, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few, right? Or the few of the one, excuse me. And I was like, oh, that's sort of interesting to me that we're, we're, we're kind of making a parallel in that regard. But, I mean, it is. I mean, this is, this is actually an instance where uh, bringing back Ezra could bring back... Could mean back bringing... Th My goodness. These morning episodes, they're still throwing me off, friends. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Bringing back Ezra could mean bringing back the Empire itself. Uh, uh, you know, is there a scenario, at least in Sabine's mind, there's a scenario where she could bring back Ezra and not Thrawn. But let's be honest, there we, we now see the forces that are aligned to ensure that Thrawn comes back. And Sabine's going to be put in a position where she has to make the choice. And I love it. I love knowing that this is where the episode's going. This is the direction we're headed is and, and and again Ahsoka asks Sabine, can you count on me? And she says yes. But I don't think Sabine answers that question the way in which Ahsoka means it to be answered. You know, Ahsoka's asking, can I count on you to do what needs to be done? And I don't think Sabine's answering in, in that regard. I think Sabine's answering the in the question is like, you can count on me to get the job done, but maybe not the way you want me to get the job done. And that is again sort of the crux of their relationship. It's 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 two headstrong people two unique personalities, and I really like the way this episode plays out. So let's go ahead, get into it proper, and you know what that means. Just like Sabine in this episode, it's time. Strap on your buckets, let's go. Anakin spoke highly of you. Interesting. He never mentioned you. Everyone in the Order knew Anakin Skywalker. Few would live to see what he became. Surely that must leave a mark. Is that why you walked away? Abandoned him? I'm not here to discuss my past. The only reason I'm here is to secure the future. For you? Something far greater. Ambitious. Necessary. And you find starting another war 
necessary. I'm not starting a war, but Thrawn will. It is an unfortunate evil, but speaks to a greater truth. One must destroy in order to create. So the episode, by and large, opens up where we left our characters. The, the A6 parked on the ground, Huang attempting to repair the ship, and its long-term communication so they can get a message to Hera. Uh, obviously, we have the conversation between Sabine and Ahsoka. Sets everything up. I, I want to sort of talk about like the, the, the little dynamic of, of heroes that we have here on the ship. You know, we have Huang the droid, who sort of represents uh, the past, the, the Jedi Order, and, and that's his programming, right? That's his limitations. That's why he uh, pushes so hard against Sabine being an apprentice, because she's sort of an atypical uh, Jedi student, right? Because she can't access the Force the way that most Jedi precepts can. Uh, so he represents the old way of doing things, and Ahsoka sort of is trying to represent the new way of doing things, with Sabine, who is the new type of student that the Jedi, that she believes the Jedi must need, if they're going to ever, if they're going to come back, in a sense, they have to sort of strip away that 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 doctrine that they had in the past that led to their ultimately led to their downfall. Um, again, we I know we talked a little bit about this last week, but I just kind of want to reemphasize it because, again, the atypicalness of Sabine as a apprentice here is is, is sort of part of the heart of this this, this episode uh, because they're doing things you know Ahsoka's doing things differently she's approaching training a student in a different fashion than the Jedi had in the past in the way that, that she was you know Huang makes the reference that she was raised by or she was taught by sort of an atypical Jedi in Anakin when you came to the Jedi late in life uh, with a lot of emotional baggage right and that's essentially what Sabine has at this point, right? She has emotional attachments. Her emotional attachment to Ezra uh, will be what makes her decide to do what she does later in this episode. So this episode sort of asks the question is like, <laughs> you know, for all the things that Jenna did wrong, is attachment still something that needs to be uh, sort of like sworn off uh, in effort to do the right thing, the greater good? You know, it's... It, can you still do the greater? Can you still serve the greater good while, uh, while having emotional attachment? Uh, Sabine seems to indicate at this point in the episode, uh, no, you can't, <laughs> because of what she does later in the episode. And again, I'm assuming everyone's watched the episode, so we know what choice she ultimately makes to not destroy the map. Uh, but it, but it, I, I I would just wanted to sort of underline that a little bit here in the beginning because again, the the, the opening of the show foreshadows everything that's to come later, and I think it it, it really is effective in us sort of as an audience knowing that this hard decision is going to come and, and seeing if Sabine will be able to act on it or not. Um, and again, that's just my two cents, <laughs> but there we go. Uh, as the conversation is happening, as repairs are being made on the ship, they are observed by one of uh, Baron Skull's, Balin Skull's droids. They report back. They're going to send some forces, and, and they know... Uh, uh, <laughs> They all know that the droids and the lackeys aren't gonna aren't gonna fare well. But Morgan Elsbeth and Morgan Elsbeth is, is is all too kind as to point that out. But Shinati and Morak are also being dispatched to slow them down so they can get those hyperspace coordinates so that Morgan Elsbeth, Balin Skull, and everyone can take off in the in the, in the Eye of Scion and recover Grand Admiral Thrawn from from the uh, other galaxy that he now resides in. And that leads us to great. 
lightsaber combat. <laughs> but we'll get to that momentarily. Uh, let's also check in on Harrison Dula, who is going to disobey orders. Again, like the plot said, risking her career. She's going to go help her friends. Her and Jason are going to get aboard the Ghost, and they're going to take off and head to Seafoss to, to, to meet up with Ahsoka and Sabine. Uh, and she's taking a squad of X-Wings with her, uh, led by our good friend Carson Teva from The Mandalorian. Now, I love Carson Teva as much as the next person does. But why is it not Zeb? We saw Zeb Aurelius. We know he's, he's a starfighter pilot with the New Republic. Uh, why is he not part of this group? Uh, is, are they saving the, the Zeb for last? Is that what's happening here in this, in this Rebels reunion show? Uh, I don't know. Again, glad to see Carson, but uh, I'm sort of surprised that Zeb wasn't the one called in to to um, you know maybe but maybe he's not maybe he doesn't have the authority maybe Zeb doesn't have the authority in the New Republic to to uh, convince five or six X-wing pilots to go with him uh, go rogue with him on a uh, on a daring do mission against orders of the Senate I don't know but that's what they do and they're gonna take off for hyperspace and head to Cephas meanwhile back on Cephas. Let's get to the combat, right? So initially we have we have our first wave of attacks, which is the the, the droids and the thugs, uh, and and I, again I like the sequence. It's fun. Hoang's getting repairs done. He's getting things accomplished. When he's attacked by the droid, we get droid on droid combat. Uh, I like the way that Hoang is able to alert Ahsoka and Sabine to the threat outside by cutting the power, uh, essentially undoing all the great repairs he's been making on the ship. Uh, but it does alert them to the presence of the attack, and. Again, Ahsoka and Sabine able to easily dispatch the the Marauders uh, once they all get into the scene, and this springs our heroes into action. Ahsoka and Sabine, knowing that they are discovered, knowing that their location is found, they have a limited amount of time now to attempt to recover the map, or in Ahsoka's from Ahsoka's perspective, destroy the map so that no one can go and and, and retrieve Grand Admiral Thrawn from the other galaxy. So they launch off through the woods. It's I, I think it's a neat sequence watching them uh, leave. And I do like Huang's party message to them that they work better together than when apart. Uh, there's something very Master and Apprentice about that. And is it Huang honoring the old ways? Or is it him just recognizing that the teamwork between Ahsoka and Sabine is just... They're just better together than when they are apart. Mm, who's to say? You know, we, as we've established Huang is sort of defined by his programming. And perhaps that master-apprentice relationship is just a core element of his programming. But it's still a nice sentiment before he sends them off into combat. <laughs> um, so let's just get into the, the big fight scene, right? Let's get, let's get to Shin Hati versus Sabine Wren, Ahsoka Tano versus Maroc. Uh, it, it's really great lightsaber combat. I love the sequences between the two. Obviously, Shin and Sabine have a more... Uh, personal relationship at this point. This is like the, uh, the rematch of the two. Last time around didn't go so well for Sabine. But this time, instead of wielding a lightsaber and, and going about things from a very Jedi perspective, uh, Sabine relies on her Mandalorian skills. She engages in combat as a Mandalorian would, relying, you know, she has her Besker. She's deflecting uh, uh, lightsaber blades with it. She is using... Uh, Frame throws and darts and laser blasts, and she's incorporating all the elements a Mandalorian should when engaging in combat against a lightsaber wielding foe, uh, and it's going pretty darn well. She's doing well. She's holding her own, faring much better than she did the first time around against Shin Hati. 
this leads to the other rematch that we got from, I believe, is in the second part of the first episode, when Ahsoka squared off against Morak, the, the, the former Inquisitor, the fallen Inquisitor, I suppose. He still has that double-sided blade that spins around, does the whirly-whirly-whirlies, just like the Grand Inquisitor had, like all the Inquisitors have, have seen, we've seen in the past with. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think when we first saw them square off in, on Corellia, I think they did a better job of presenting Morak as, as, as a threat to Ahsoka. He made it, made it seem like he was going to be uh, capable. Something about this fight didn't feel that way at all to me. It felt like from the, from the jump, Morak was going to be outmatched in this fight. And that is a sense of sensibly how it goes for him. Uh, it, it, you know, he gets a couple shots in there, and he gets all twirly-whirly with his lightsaber blade. But Ahsoka never wavers. Ahsoka has the skills to, to put that fool in his place, and that is exactly what happens. And then what happens next? I, 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 I laughed out loud very audibly <laughs> when, when they do that very samurai-esque move, when, you know, when, when Marak goes for his, his charge, and Ahsoka does like, the little sidestep and cut right across the chest of Marak, and we see him hit the ground on his knees, that, that, that you know, line across him from the lightsaber blow, and then just him exploding with whatever's inside of him exploding out. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed, and I laughed, and I laughed, because if that is the end of Maroc, if we are to see nothing more of Maroc, and there are no more, <laughs> there's no more background, there's no more information on who this character is, <laughs> I would like to just, like, golf clap Dave Filoni golf clap for uh for just letting the fandom spin itself into into insanity on on who is Maroc the great mystery of the Ahsoka series the the revelation that will come of who is Maroc and and for it to be just dismissed so out of hand like oh Maroc is nobody deal with it <laughs> that would be quite a thing if that's where we end where we end things uh, on in in the the grand legend of Maroc the inquisitor um, uh, so I'm I'm curious if we'll find if there'll be some backstory revealed at some point on him in this in this series, or if that is it. And and Dave Filoni just said, "Ha, take your Moroccan spin on it," because that's exactly what the fandom did. So all your all your uh, Moroccan theories uh, up in a puff of smoke or whatever the heck that was that came out of his chest. I'm assuming that means he's dead. Like, does that like does uh, does that stuff come out of your body and yeah, he can go into another body? Does it is it like some sort of possession type scenario here happening with Maroc I, I I don't think so but I guess we could find out I don't know I'm <laughs> I have so many questions about that what do you think happened is Maroc gone is he dead is it poof literally poof and that's it or or, or does that dust travel traverse find a new body to inhabit let's I guess we're gonna find out right uh, and and if that is the case, then I think that means that Maroc is is very different than what we maybe thought he was. The speculation led us to, to I shouldn't even say conclude because we had no evidence to speculate on wildly. So I don't know. We'll see. But it it was funny. Made me laugh pretty 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 hard. So with Maroc handled, uh, Ahsoka's going to take off to get the map while Sabine engages with Shin. Shin and Sabine. Will stay in combat even longer, and ultimately, it looks like. Let's just say with with the Shin and Sabine fight here, because um, ultimately, Sabine does a little uh, um, 
what's the word I want to use? I don't, you know, my my boxing vernacular has is is not as good as it used to be, but but she sort of. I think she lets Shin think that she's down and out, right? She makes like that. She puts the hand out like she's going to try and use the force. And I think it's a misdirect. I think it's a misdirect at all. Like I, maybe Sabine's trying to use the force to summon her lightsaber to her once it's been knocked out of her hand. But honestly, I think it's more of a misdirect than anything else because, again, Sabine's been using her Mandalorian uh, skills and heritage to to stay in this fight against Shin. And I, I love Shin leaning in and, and telling her she has no power here. And then that's when she's like the the blaster in the face, right? <laughs> gets the gets her lightsaber knocked away, and then all of a sudden nobody has a lightsaber. But Sabine, far from from helpless because of her Mandalorian skills, or again, when you wear the bucket, you're never defenseless in a fight. You're never weaponless enough without in a fight if you're Mandalorian. That's that's the key thing to take there. Uh, but ultimately, Shin will escape back. Uh, there'll be a distraction. It breaks Sabine's focus so that Shin can throw down the Batman-style smoke grenade and, and make a break back to the hedge where the map room is, right? Now let's go to the map room, right? Because Ahsoka's broken away first. She's going to have a confrontation with Bale and Skull. We just played the opening of that. Uh, and I let the whole thing run because I think it's a very interesting conversation. I, I think... Balin Skull is a man who seems to know a whole lot about a whole lot of people. Uh, and, you know, he knows a lot about Ahsoka. He knows a lot about Anakin and what Anakin becomes. And to my knowledge, that is still a, a fairly closely guarded secret. So I'm curious how Balin Skull has this information that Anakin became Darth Vader. Um, I'm also curious how Balin comes across some information later on in, in, in the episode, too. Uh, but he seems to be a person who studies his opponents, and perhaps his abilities with the Force uh, grant him some some sort of ability to have uh, inner in, uh, some sort of insight into his opponents. Or perhaps he's just he's taken a page from Thrawn and he just like studies them relentlessly through uh, like through the, with Thrawn. With Thrawn, it was through art. Uh, for Balin, it could be something completely different, uh, and and that'll be remains to be seen. Balin Skull, something of a mystery character still. Uh, but I sort of love the peek at his motivations. You know, again, he's he like he is the fallen Jedi, right? Like he's not a Sith necessarily. He don't, I don't think he subscribes to the way of the Sith. He doesn't have you know his lightsabers, Shin's like Shin his and Shin's lightsabers are those orange hues. So like they're you know again I hesitate to use the word the dark Jedi that really hasn't been some like terminology that's been incorporated into the new canon necessarily, but. Balin still subscribes to some of the Jedi teachings, right? You know, he has an apprentice. Shin Hati wears the Padawan braid. So, like, they're, they're, I, I think Balin is choosing to honor some aspects of Jedi tradition while forging a new path. And obviously he's a character who craves order. And it seems like he liked the order that the Empire brought to the galaxy. But again, there's a lot about this character that we don't know yet, and I'm waiting to find out more. I'm intrigued by him. I'm fascinated by him. Uh, Ray Stevens is, is delivering a great performance. Uh, again, I really enjoyed the, the dialogue between he and Ahsoka. And more importantly, what's coming up next, I really enjoy the, the dialogue between he and Sabine Wren. Um, let's just get to it, because Sab Ahsoka and Balin have a great lightsaber fight. A lot of back and forth, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, Ahsoka makes the play to get 
the map room ball. Now, we did skip over what's going on with the map room ball, right? It's uploading coordinates to the ISIN. The ISIN is in position in lower orbit uh, to, to receive all this data from that map room, right? So it's, it's figuring out the coordinates it needs to make that intergalactic hyperspace jump, or extragalactic hyperspace jump, I should say. And it's a, uh, um, you know, it's it's a device, it's, it's a ticking clock for our heroes to to spring into action. Uh, but it's kind of it's kind of a neat little element. It's, it sort of makes some sense that they have to get these coordinates down just right, or else they'll be lost in the void of nothingness, as as Balin Skull has pointed out to Morgan Elsbeth already in this episode. But it puts a clock on our heroes, so they have to spring into action. It's it's is it cliche? No, I don't I don't I don't really subscribe to that at all. It's it's just sort of. It, it's a trope, but it's a trope that we should all be expecting, right? Like, nothing's ever clear-cut and easy. There's always got to be a clock. You always got to cut the red wire. You know, some things are just some things. It's it's okay. It's okay to have these elements in there. Uh, but it leads to... It, it adds a little bit of tension to... or in, in, in underlines the importance of what they're trying to do. So Ahsoka makes the play for the map ball. The sphere. <laughs> map ball. And that's not a real term. But we'll just call it the sphere. <laughs> And uh, it, it doesn't go her way. You can't just grab that thing. You know, it, whether it's protected by uh, Night Sister magic is, is unclear. But once it was in its, in, in its locked in its phase or whatever, that thing was uh, not as easy just to, to yank out. You know, it's not like pulling, pulling an a, a external hard drive off your computer real fast, just yanking that thing out. Anywho, it puts her in a bad spot because she can only fight with, with, with she's only fighting one handed now. She has dropped the sphere on the ground. Balin's beating her back to the edge of the cliff, off the hinge. And that is when, well, pause. Because at first she sees Shin come back, and this upsets her greatly. Now, do you think she lashes out emotionally when she throws Shin against that rock really hard? Felt like it to me. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think she got a little dark there? Do you think she went a little dark side when she uh, threw Shin Hati very aggressively against that rock? <laughs> I kind of think so. She seemed very emotional when, when it was not Sabine that came back through the forest. But then Sabine does show. And this is when, this is the moment right here that we, that we, we highlighted. The choice is going to be put in Sabine's hand. She has the map sphere in her hand. She holds a blaster to it. Ahsoka's telling her to destroy the map. And I think Balin Skull very wisely knows that he has to remove Ahsoka from this scenario, so he forces her off the edge of the cliff and into the water, the, the chilly waters below, so that he can engage with Sabine. Because again, I think he's done his homework. He seems to know a lot about Sabine Wren. And I want to go ahead and play a bit of that sequence because this is one of those, those bits of, of information where it's like, well, how did Balin know this? But now he just told us something very, very important about Sabine that puts a lot more light into the Sabine and Ahsoka relationship. So let me go ahead and play that clip for you all right now. Hang on. So before I, I play it, I do want to mention, again, there's that little moment where Balin Skull closes his eyes, raises his head up to the sky, and I sort of wonder, if he's, if, is he calming himself? Is he collecting himself for this conversation? Or is he taking a glimpse inside of Sabine and, and, and able to sort of see the best way to approach this situation? How to how to defeat this opponent without having to swing his lightsaber. I'm curious if there's more to it than that, or if he's, he's simply just an intuitive guy. But let's go ahead and play the scene right now, because, again, I really, really liked the way that 
Balin kind of handles Sabine in it. Check it out. And we'll talk about that big piece of information that he drops here momentarily. Let's go. I know you feel that Ezra Bridger is the only family you have left. You don't know what you're talking about. I know that's what's holding you back. Your family died on Mandalore because your master didn't trust you. Sabine, you and I share a common goal to make this journey. You to be reunited with your long lost friend and I to serve a greater good Come with me, willingly. I give you my word. No harm will come to you. Sabine, you will be reunited with your friend. It's the only way. Do it. For Ezra. Okay, we know what's gonna happen. <laughs> the long, long pause there while while Sabine wrestles with her feelings and makes the decision that we know she's gonna make. And that is, in this scenario, I think Sabine, and again, we have to wonder if Sabine's doing this, um, is this part of her plan, her way to play this out, to get to Ezra, but still some find some way to stop Thrawn from returning. I, you know, I don't think she's going to be like the willing accomplice here and completely betray Ahsoka and the rest of her friends uh, to damn the galaxy. I, th I think Sabine's going to have her own play here at some point, or at least she thinks she's going to have the ability to make a play at some point. Um, but let's go back to the information. Let's go back to what Balin Skull reveals. The, the Purge of Mandalore, initiated by Moff Gideon, leads to the death of Sabine's entire family. That is something that we wondered about uh, on, on, in, 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 the, in the show. And that seems to be where Ahsoka and Sabine's relationship fractures. Because obviously something came up. Sabine wanted to do something. We don't know what. We don't know that that information just yet. Did she have the ability to? Did she have the knowledge of the, of the purge coming and she wanted to save her family? Did she know the attack was coming and wanted to stop Moff Gideon? Uh, we, you know, we, we we don't know. But Ahsoka didn't trust Sabine to do what we don't know. The right thing, the honorable thing. Uh, um, th there's a lot of questions here, but this seems to be the fracture point of the Ahsoka and Sabine relationship, right? That Ahsoka wouldn't allow Sabine to, to act in order to save her family on Mandalore. That's huge knowledge for us. Uh, and, and, and again, underlines the fact that like these characters, Ahsoka and Sabine, have an insanely complicated history, and now we, we know that Sabine blames Ahsoka, for probably, I would assume, blames her for the death of her family. That is a big complication 
And that could lead to Sabine not trusting Ahsoka and not believing Ahsoka when she says, hey, you got to blow up that map. It's the only way to, to protect the galaxy. Uh, because doing things Ahsoka way, Ahsoka's way costs Sabine her family. So there's a lot going on there. And and again, I love Balin Skull's approach here. He's just playing on her emotions. He's he's seizing on on her emotional attachment. And he does, you know, again, you, one of the first things you hear in that clip is him disengage the lightsaber, put it back on his belt, and he just talks to her. And he's like, "Hey, we want the same thing. Come with us. You'll see your friend again. You'll be reunited." I'll get what I want. You get what you want. Everyone's going to be happy. It's it's a very effective approach on Sabine, who is going through a lot of emotional turmoil at this moment. And Balin offers her uh, a, a way to, to get what she wants. And it's not like this dark and seductive and powerful thing. Like It's not seducing her the way that like Anakin was seduced to the dark side. Again, because Sabine's force powers are nascent, right? Uh, it's, it's a very new thing to her. She hasn't made the connection yet that she needs to make to be a, a powerful force wielder if that's even to be her path but just the emotional attachment the connection that she has with Ezra the the, the notion that he's the only family she has left that's why she's so desperate to bring him back um, all these things and Balin Skull is, is, is able to just, just play her like a fiddle now, what I like next, though, is once she hands the ball, <laughs> once she hands the sphere over, uh, Shin Hati will not forget and begins to force choke her out. Which is, I mean, what's a, what's a Star Wars show without a good force choking? <laughs> but Sabine uh, is released. Balin Skull admonishes Shin to to release her to honor his word. And uh, now we get everything we need, right? Balin puts the sphere back into the 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 I don't know chamber. I don't know what you want to call that access port. It was called the access port. And it completes the calculations so the Eye of Scion knows exactly where it's going to go. Morgan Elsbeth is super stoked. They're going to send a shuttle down for Balin and Shin and whoever else is left down there on the planet. Sabine's going to go with them. Meanwhile, our rebel heroes come out of hyperspace. Jason, Harrison Dula, Chopper, Carson Teva, and some, uh, some, some, some X-Wing pilots. And they see the ISIN rising from the planet, getting uh, and, and getting getting ready to depart. And I love that Morgan just sees them as not a threat. She's not going to engage them in combat. They're just going to take off to hyperspace through them. And 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 the wake of that massive hyperdrive powered ship taking off, and 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 sort of the the destruction it causes going through uh, through the ghosts and those X wings. Uh, it just it was awesome. <laughs> I thought it was a really cool scene, really cool effect. Never seen a ship take off like hyperspace in that fashion before. Really awesome. Thought it was great. And um, again, it puts our heroes in a very bad spot because exactly now, what's going to happen? How are we going to follow to the other galaxy to pursue not only to, to not only to stop the return of Thrawn, but to potentially save Ezra and now to save Sabine. If Sabine even wants to be saved, right? Is that the question? No. I think Sabine is still on the side of right. She just wants to... This is what she's doing because she thinks this is the only way for her to get to Ezra. You know? She knows that Ahsoka and the good guys are behind the eight ball here. This puts her in a position to be with the bad guys to get to Ezra then figure out some way to sabotage them from coming back. Maybe that means that Sabine and Ezra don't come back, but they're together? I, you know, I don't know. We, 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 we will see. 
what Sabine's plan ultimately turns out to be, I think, at some point. But let's speculate a tiny, tiny bit. I'm just curious. How is it that our heroes will follow? Do they find some way... My assumption is they will find some way to, to harness the power of the, of the Purgle, much like Ahsoka did initially, to, to transport them where they need to go. That's my guess. We'll see that happens. There's another side of this, too, because where we end this episode, with Ahsoka waking up in the world between worlds. A, a Star Wars concept that is fairly new in the grand scheme of things and something we've not seen since the end of Rebels itself. Uh, this could be a way that they're able to access what they need to access because the world between worlds is, is sort of a vague and nebulous concept at this point. There's not any sort of clearly defined limitations that it has on itself. Is it possible they're able to traverse the world between worlds to get to the world they need to get to? I suppose that's a possibility. Um, and it seems to be what they're indicating will happen here, but because Ahsoka has access to it, but will she be able to get access to others? Or is it just Ahsoka taking off on her own now, solo mission? Because maybe she's the only one who can get into the world between worlds. Now, I'm curious how she gets into the world between worlds in this scenario. Is there, you know, I don't know. I'm uh, hoping that'll be explained when we open the next episode. But it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger with the revelation, the, uh, uncanny, the uncanny valley aspect of a young, de-aged Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker, her former master, waiting for her in the world between worlds. And that's where we end the episode on that massive, massive cliffhanger and reveal of Anakin, de-aged, looking very uh, Attack of the Clones. Nah, no, not so much. He's looking very <laughs> Revenge of the Sithy. <laughs> with that with that hairdo, baby. Uh, and that is where we end the episode of this week. And it's a big moment, it's a big reveal, but I think that I don't want to talk about too much about it because I'm waiting to see what what it what it means, what it's gonna shake out to be in the next episode when we spend more time with Ahsoka and Anakin in the world between worlds. And I'm not, I don't want to go down that road. I'm not gonna speculate, I'm not gonna guess. Let's see what happens, let's wait. This is a great episode. I really enjoyed it. Uh, let me. I also love the way the Balin makes sure that no one's going to use the the sphere again by just holding his lightsaber through it until it explodes into two pieces. Uh, yeah, that's not going to be salvageable tech right there. So he ensures that no one can follow where they're going before they take off, and I love that aspect of it too. Uh, Ray Stevens is masterful in this episode. I love everything he brings to the table. It's a great episode. It's nine nine buckets, easy peasy. Almost, I want to kind of give it nine and a half. I'm leaning nine and a half almost. It's close. I'm going to stay with nine, but it's real close. I kind of want to bump it up. But it's a great, 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 great episode. Sets up a lot of stuff. The The reveal, I love that big reveal about Ahsoka's, Ahsoka's uh, stop, Ahsoka stopping Sabine from interfering or potentially aiding her family during the purge that Moff Gideon commits that we have seen chronicled in The Mandalorian. Uh, there's so many fun aspects of it. It's so great, it's so good, and I love it. <laughs> Nine buckets for sure. Check this one out, friends. All right? Uh, that's going to wrap us up. This is the Mandovision Podcast, Nargai Tom. Make sure to follow us on social media. We're still on Twitter and X and Instagram, more importantly. Follow us at Mando underscore Vision. Email the show, MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. Uh, if possible, and you're so inclined, another great way to support the show, sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews on whatever platform you listen to if they offer that ability. Those kind of reviews, they help us defeat the tyranny of the algorithm. 
They help small independent shows like us stand out and not get lost in the extragalactic shuffle. So thank you for taking the time to do that in advance. I really, really do appreciate it. All right, my friends. Uh, a reminder, be great Star Wars fans. This is a huge opportunity to bring in new Star Wars fans uh, with with this show. I think it's, I do think it's fairly approachable. Like, it, yes, it's better if you have the context of the history of four seasons of Rebels. But I think this is a good entry point show. I think you can bring people in and then maybe it inspires them to watch Rebels. Just like maybe The Mandalorian inspired some people to go back and watch Clone Wars and Rebels. TBD. But it's a great show. I'm glad everyone seems to be enjoying it very much, except for the critics who can, you know, they can go spin on it. I don't really care. <laughs> they they stink. And <laughs> But <laughs> be great Star Wars fans. Encourage new Star Wars fans. Uh, just, just be awesome people out there. Uh, it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. And you guys know what to do. Bucketed Nation, you are the best. And you've always been full of amazing Star Wars fans. So just keep being kind and supportive to the new fans who maybe don't understand every little thing, and but help them out as much as you can without being condescending because that's not what we do here. All right, we'll be back next week. Uh, next week's episode will probably be out later in the day on Wednesday, but it will be out, all right? So you all take care of each other. Be great, be awesome. And remember, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.